today on Never Was a Gamer. Who would you say is the M. Night Shyamalan of games? Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is the trustworthy voice coming in over the radio and guiding me to my destination, Dimitri. Oh no, you you didn't make it to the twist, did you? <laughs> um, the voice about whom there is no further information to be learned. <laughs> yeah, hi everyone. We're talking System Shock 2 today, kind of. So... Things went awry, as they did on the Von Braun itself. (laughs) So, you know, we came into this thinking, end of the year, let's do a nice feel-good arc that was going to be called Playing in Michelle's Wheelhouse, where we revisit games that are very close to games that Michelle loves. So either games that inspired some of her favorite games or in a genre that she really enjoys that she hasn't played. And, you know, it was going to be a real feel-good, easy-breezy <laughs> end to the year. And then Michelle encountered System Shock 2, and I think this is our first failure. Yeah, I, I think so. And, uh, you know, this is going to be sort of a, a weird episode because not only did I, for the first time, not finish this, but if you're a listener, 90% of what you're about to hear me say about this game is positive, is stuff that I liked about this game. And yet, simultaneously, I arrived at a point where I simply could not play another moment or I would literally die. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, and, and when we say did not finish this game, we don't mean got through 90% of it and then stopped. No, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we mean didn't make it to the twist that's about a quarter of the way through the game. Which I then had to watch on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the twist that this game is most known for that sets up the tone of the rest of the game. And also apparently it. all of Ken Levine's games going <laughs> forward. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I... So the thing is, first of all, for how far I got, which is not very far, I'll be honest, I got to the engineering deck, which anyone who knows the structure of this game knows that that is like the second to third location <laughs> i you would be appalled at how many hours it took me to get to the, that point because of how slowly i played this game and how many times oh, yeah, I it, died. Was, it was not for lack of effort yeah i i swear to god i tried my best and so what we're gonna do is we will talk about system shock 2 a little bit but if you're coming here for you know a typical deep dive or if you're someone who deeply loves system shock 2 and wants to hear how newbies to this game went through, you know, the intricacies of the game from beginning to end. This will not be for you. You will be very disappointed. Because you did not fully, you got very, very far, but did not finish it either. I will talk about my experience as well. Yeah, because for me, this is my first time playing through this, playing through this as well. And and I'll talk about my experience. I did get very close to the end, but then once I, I knew that you had kind of bailed and then something happened that I will talk about that made me just, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Shut off the game and delete it and never really think about it again. Your classic rage quit. More so than more so than ever. And again, this is a game that, for the most part, I really, really loved. Uh, I, a game that I would think about while I was at work and couldn't wait to get back to. And then some things happened towards the end, um, structurally, and then a, a singular moment, <laughs> a singular number. 
you sent me the angriest email when you got to this point. I was like, oh my God. It's just, we'll get to it. It's the most disrespectful thing that the game has ever done, <laughs> in my opinion. But we're not going to spend the entire time talking about System Shock 2 because we can't speak about the whole thing knowledgeably. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we will talk about our experience, talk about, you know, what we really liked about the game and, you know, where we see System Shock 2 appear in some other games. Because I think... The very least, I think you played enough to understand the Bioshock influence. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then especially once you got to the twist. Yeah. Uh, but then what we're going to do in the back half is talk about the experience of bouncing off games in general, especially games that you otherwise really like. I think it's an experience that most everybody has once in a while. I know it's an experience that Michelle has quite often. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a bad thing. And I think it's worth thinking about, you know, what is it about a game that where there's otherwise like that kind of brings us to this point where we just stop playing it intentionally or often unintentionally. Yeah, I do think it's that bouncing off is kind of a thing that, you know, there's versions of this that happens with like TV shows or books or whatever. But the bouncing phenomenon feels to me specifically like a video game thing mm -hmm. as well, which is kind of interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to talking through all that stuff. But first, we got to. Sit in our failure for a bit. Yeah. Talk about System Shock 2. So before we get into some of the details, do you want to just set up what this game is and maybe why you were excited to play it initially? Sure. Yeah. So um, this is a game that comes uh, from Ken Levine and his team, which is is the the uh, studio that went on to make Bioshock, which I've talked about my experience with that as being at the time for me a formative um, play experience, even if I have mixed feelings about it now. And I knew System Shock 2 as being something that a lot of people whose taste I really respect and share really like and really say, like, there's some interesting, uh, gritty, mechanical, effective, spooky stuff there that's a really good time and is worth a look. So I was excited to go back and take that look. Um, so this game is uh, a first-person immersive sim sort of RPG um, where you play as a, a character who's sort of a military recruit who's on this mission accompanying this spaceship called the Von Braun, which is an experimental faster-than-light ship produced by um, Trioptimum Corporation, which is sort of the creator of the big bad of System Shock 1. So you're you're stationed to the Rickenbacker, which is a, a paired military ship that's with the Von Braun. And you, I guess, are frozen and you wake up on the Von Braun with everything in chaos, uh, with amnesia, with the ship's um, security AI, Xerxes, running amok with most of the people dead and with this person, um, Janice Pol Polito. Yeah. Yeah speaking to you through your sort of comm system, um, guiding you to come find her so that you guys can get the situation back under control. Yes. And as you progress, you didn't quite get here, but as a, you know, a Bioshock aficionado, maybe you could have sensed that this was coming. <laughs> the big twist that, you know, a lot of people put this twist up there with, for example, the major Final Fantasy VII twist at the time, right? Like one of the... Oh, no spoilers. Most, Don't say what I'm it is. I'm not going to say what it is. <laughs> But this is often talked about as, you know, one of the most shocking gaming moments of all time. And again, to give a little bit of context, right, that this comes out in 1999. Half-Life comes out the year prior, in 1998. But we're still very much in 
this uh, doom quake first person shooter paradigm. Right. In a lot of ways, System Shock 2 is kind of reimagining what you can do with a first person shooter, or at least what looks like on the surface a first person shooter, but that, you know, underneath the surface is, is much more an rpg but yeah this you know this big twist this big reveal is something that people weren't expecting in a a first person shooter and so what this big twist is is that eventually you make it to the deck where janice polito is after lots of trials and tribulations and (laughs) obstacles put in your path a very video game route through up the the maintenance elevator oh but to get there you have to get the passcode from this guy in the medical bay but to get there, you'll have to go to the engineering core and get the key card to circle back to the like it's a very it's a very it's a very uh um Resident Evil the movie <laughs> pathway. <Yes. laughs> um but eventually, so about you know, a quarter, a third of the way through the game, you finally make it to deck four of this of this massive ship and are on your way to visit Janice Polito. You get to her office and you see she's there dead, and then you realize that the voice talking to is not her at all, but the villain from System Shock 1, the evil AI Shodan. <gasps> and this reveal is actually pretty sweet. Yeah, it actually very much rules, I have to say. And and then, you know, for the rest of the game, you are kind of Shodan's unwilling accomplice, kind of <laughs> working together to fight Xerxes. But then at the end, of course, Shodan kind of turns on you and then you have to fight her. Duh. Uh, yeah, which is something you could expect. But, you know, very much... In line with the very similar twist in Bioshock. Yeah. Uh, he really went back to the same well on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Feel slightly more judgmental of people who were super, super shocked by the Atlas reveal, actually, <laughs> in hindsight. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of the basic plot structure. But, you know, Michelle, you used the phrase immersive sim before to describe, you know, what type of game this is. So do you want to explain a little bit more what that is, or at least what it means to you? Because I think it's one of these terms that means different things to different people. Yeah, I I have this in my head as like a pretty loosey-goosey label that we stick on things with a bunch of different elements. All you remember is that this is really what you wanted Batman to be. Yeah, I wanted to look through somebody's papers in Arkham Asylum. Okay, so immersive sim to me, to me, to me, to me. There's uh, two things that I think of. One is that um, they're, they're sort of a mechanical sandbox where you tend to have a whole bunch of different tools and your your combat or your way of traversing through the world or whatever um, has a way higher level of interaction with the environment, um, with with sort of independent procedural elements. It's much more systems-y um, than... System shocksy. Systems shocksy toozy uh, than, you know... Uh, conventional action RPGs or whatever. Um, The other thing that I associate with immersive sims is sort of a corresponding and complementary way of doing world building and uh, story exposition and character exploration, which is that a lot of that, I I think, tends to be communicated through um, the physical world itself in the game, through found objects, through, through dialogue and things that you overhear. So this is where, you know, environmental design tends to contain a lot of information. Um, I associate this with, you know, um, <laughs> picking up and reading. Th- this is this is the world of, of audio logs writ large, you know. Immersive Sims, the genre where idiots write their most sacred passwords yeah. <laughs> on a post-it note and then stick them onto their computers. Confessions of all kinds of things in emails <laughs> that are sitting open on their desktops. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of contrivances there, obviously, but 
those are the two. And I do think they work together, right? Because you are sort of meant to be exploring and engaging with all the different elements that are set up for you in this world in a sort of more um, more creative way. I think that's where a lot of the information gets planted. Yeah. And you know, when Ken Levine talks about this, he for him, it's really about a sandbox that allows for emergent gameplay. So not an open world, much more streamlined than an open world. Right. But but very much, you know, a simulation that is running in the background where you, the player, can then engage with the systems that that are present. And, you know, you are in, going to interact with the world in ways that maybe the developers didn't intend. Right. But basically, you know, it's you interacting with the, you know, the underlying systems in a in a way that should be somewhat freeing to you as a player and allow you as a player to make decisions that, you know, enable you to solve problems according to your whims rather than know what the designer intended quote right. unquote and and we can talk about whether you thought this game was actually successful at doing that but that that's definitely it's it's aspiration the first two floors <laughs> uh okay so so with that how do you want to go about talking about this okay. game since you know you really only got through the two first two floors but this is also a game that gives away a lot of what it is pretty quickly mm. so even though you didn't get very far in it i think you've seen a lot of its tricks I I have weirdly strong opinions about this game for have, for how little I've for having played fifteen percent of it. To shape my discussion or my comments on this, I want to use a very classic, old school sort of era appropriate fandom format, which is the five times I X and one times I Y. Um, and so in this case, it's five times I loved System Shock Two and one time I didn't. Okay. So this is going to be five highs and then one low that will help me explain why I simply could not play it for okay. a moment longer. Okay. Okay. So number one, first time I love System Shock 2, training and character setup. The whole like first hour of this game is killer. It's so good. So from the very start, you're you're it's sort of like the start of of um Half-Life it's where a you're, very Half-Life. Yeah. Opening. You're you're on a tram going through the facility arriving at um, your first day on the job as this military recruit, you go through this like Tron ass laser grid training simulator where you learn how to shoot guns, how to use sci- like psychic abilities that are in this and how to do tech like hacking, manipulating turrets and stuff like that. Yeah. Again, like Half-Life, integrated tutorial yep. that, you know, has a has a place within the world, makes sense within the world. Yep. A lot of a lot of games of this era did that. And I think it's just because people know how to play shooters now that they're not they're not integrated like this that much anymore. But I really like this era of tutorial. Yeah. Um, and I think this one is really cool, is really stylish. It really like helps establish an aesthetic identity for the game right out the gate, which I which I appreciate. Um, so after that, you were invited to choose a specialization, which you can pick Navy, which is tech centered. Uh, the Marines, which is weapons, or Ops, which is sort of psi basis, um, with no explanation of what they are. I had to go to the manual. Get this. This is the game, though, where I finally cracked the manual voluntarily. <laughs> the manual is actually pretty helpful. To look up which of these it was. But yeah, basically, this is just your character creator, your class creation, but again, integrated into the world of the game in a way that makes complete sense, instead yeah. of just asking you to do it on this you know, opening screen. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
It's so good. And I, for some reason, I love that there's no in-game explanation of these because like your character would, of course, know what these different things mean. And then when you're going on the missions, it, it gives you a sense of like what attributes will increase. Which oh, will... so this is the next thing mm-hmm. that, that you come to is once you've chosen your specialization. And your specialization, it does, it hints at what kind of job it is. Yeah. It doesn't exactly tell you, but it, it gives you some context clues of, you know, generally you'd be this, you know, more of a... A running gun type character yeah. or more of a uh, psychic ability type character without being very explicit about it. Yeah. It's not so- completely, it's not completely <laughs> opaque to be fair to the game. So I chose Navy, which is tech. Obviously, I'm in a cyberpunk game. I'm obviously going to choose the hacker build. Okay. I chose like, Marine. Oh my God. Get real. Grow up. But I also had put a lot into hacking. Okay. I just yeah. wanted, I just knew that there would be a lot of shooting involved whether I wanted to shoot or not. Well, so maybe in hindsight, I probably should have taken Marine. <laughs> this is one thing that you're going to see in my narrative through this. I very much chose my choice that I wanted mm-hmm. through this section and I was having a great time doing it. So after you make this choice, then you have what basically follows um, in-game is uh, four years of training missions, which includes three missions. So the way that this works is this is basically you building your initial set of stats or perks, except the way it's formatted is your... So in three times, you're presented with a choice between three different missions that give you a little bit of flavor text and says what the perk will be. So, you know, so one of them, for example, is you go for um, prestigious weapons training at Camp Bush, which also I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) but and then you get whatever, plus two to heavy weapons or something like that. Um, So you choose between these three stat boost options and then you don't actually play out that mission, but you sort of go proceed down that hallway and you get a bit of flavor text about how it went. And then you get your little perk. So this is like not that much game writing. This is not that much thinking through. This I absolutely love. It's the immersive part of the immersive stuff. Yes, it's so good. It's just that little tiny bit of contextualization. Mm -hmm. And also it helped me start to characterize my person. Like one of the ones that happened for me um, I accidentally chose no survival or weapons perks. <laughs> oh, well, uh, I'm sure that had nothing to do with how the rest of my playthrough went. Um, like one of the ones that happened for me was we were on a research voyage to research a small asteroid and a piece broke off, collided with the ship I was in, killing a hundred people plus the commanding officer. So I took over, became CEO and got us home. And we finally researched the dang asteroid. Research plus one. Like that's the, it's just like these, like, okay, so my guy is the kind of person who is like very prepared to like take control of stuff when things go wrong and also feel some pride at having like, I love the like, also we finally researched mm-hmm. the asteroid. Um, so I don't know. This is like not necessary. Does this fundamentally change the structure of the game? No, it doesn't. You could have just had me pick a set of perks. But this feels like so much more. I just love this. I just think it's so great. It's it's one of the things that boggles the mind that after having seen this, that not more games do this or that hasn't become standard. I imagine it's because people just want to get to the game or on replay, they don't want to have to go through it again. Well, their opinions are bad and or, wrong. Or maybe, you know, on New Game Plus, give people the choice to just, sure. you know, pick their perks from a menu. Sure. But yeah, in terms of like getting you into the game, I, th- I thought this was, I also agreed. This was, this was a terrific way to do it. And um Actually, you know, understanding what your perks do more than you would if you just kind of looked on a on a on a normal like, character sheet that a lot of games give you. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with this. Okay, so what's your second 
thing that you loved? And did it take place once you're actually kind of in the game? Yes, it did. <laughs> Number two, immediately distrusting Polito. Okay. Okay. So you wake up on the Von, the the start of the this game proper. You wake up on the Von Braun. Okay, with things in chaos, and there's an error restoring my memories <laughs> but luckily i have some experimental implants that i allegedly volunteered for which i hope everyone is hearing the air quotes i'm doing and this is polito telling you all this she's like oh dang that sucks do you uh do you not have any memory yeah there's this weird computer thing i don't know it really sucks but don't worry you have all these uh these um you know off-label implants you totally volunteered for them. Don't don't worry about it. It was all consensual. And immediately I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> and um, I, I actually don't think that this is only or even primarily because I played Bioshock. Like I wasn't really thinking about Atlas at the time. I mostly just like, I guess I'm like cyberpunk genre savvy enough mm. to be like, by the time we're in the space of like memory manipulation and neural implants and stuff that's connected to an AI. We're allowed to ask some questions when things <laughs> go missing and you wake up in a suspicious circumstance. And so right out the gate, I was like, I don't know about this. And that as like an opening mystery was like more fun for hmm. me even than like what happened on the Von Braun. Um, like I, I loved this relationship right out the gate, especially because she also starts bossing you around immediately. And like, a really interesting character choice that they make with Polito is that unlike Atlas in Bioshock, she is not charming and she is not nice and she is not trying to convince you to like her. I mean, there are there are limits to Shodan's AI capabilities. That <laughs> Shodan's got a Shodan in some way. No, but, Even when she's trying to act human, she still is making fun of you. <laughs> but in, in some ways that I think that's like a, an interesting story choice, right? Um, because even in the beginning, you sort of have this little bit of tension with with this person who's who's directing you. Um, I will say that I I actually kind of was hoping that there would, or maybe there is late in the game that there would be more to this that she had actually somehow manipulated your like erased some part of your memory and like I wanted a little bit more cyberpunky stuff in this. Um, but I just like right out the gate, I was so into the core mysteries of this game and what I was doing. And like, I felt highly motivated to figure out what was going on and get to her. Well, that that makes it even sadder that you never actually made I her. know. I wanted to. Listen, I wanted to. That's the story of this whole thing is me wanting to continue. It, it is this one. It is this funny thing where reading the reviews at the time, because even I remember, like I knew about this twist way well before I played it because everybody would talk up this twist. And it's were you, and it is that thing. It's like were you really that shocked? I mean, Shodan's on the box, like right. the box is her face. It's like you know she's going to be in this game somewhere. The intro is very much like, hey, remember Shodan? Yeah, the Citadel. Ooh. So it's like okay, something something's going on here. And just, it's the same company that yeah, launched it, you know. And again, just the way that Polito is treating you, she's just so rude. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that is the thing that happens throughout. So once you actually you know uncover that it is Shodan, it is Shodan's voice then as Shodan following you and taunting you, even as you kind of do her bidding. She never becomes nice to you. She just makes fun of you. And it is, you know, this proto kind of GLaDOS type character. Um, not not cracking jokes, though. I love to be disrespected by 
the person who's guiding me through a world that feels good. Yeah. And I mean, I know you didn't get to spend much time with her, but I do think that she is still very effective as, you know, this kind of plot device that follows you along and um, both as the director, but also adding to, you know, the the overall kind of tone and vibe of the game. Mm-hmm. She's she's just terrifying. And like the way she's just in your ear the whole time, especially if you're wearing headphones, is just really unnerving. And uh, you do feel kind of helpless. She's like, okay, I have to, I have to kind of do what you say. What else do you? What are your options? But you're, but you're so mean to me, and you clearly hate me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and you need me now, but you might not always need me, and then you'll probably turn on me, which she does. Yeah. Um, okay. So what's your what's your next one? Number three, um, just atmosphere and aesthetic. Like this game is just full of what I would call dated cyberpunk space cred. <laughs> like there's just there's debris, there's like nondescript weird labby stuff, there's space stuff, there's multiple AIs that are represented through huge like wall-sized widescreen TVs displaying uh, visualizations of their face, which there's no reason for them to have or bother with. Like everything that you look at and everywhere you look at in this game is great. It's dark, it's dense, Everywhere is creepy. There is such sustained tension. Um, This, like, you go a long time in this game, or at least I did based on the way way that I was playing and also the direction that I went. You go a long time without getting a gun. It was like me and the wrench for... Great wrench. Great wrench. Top tier wrench. But, you know, a wrench only does so much. You still, you know, you're, you need... I don't know. The wrench was my primary weapon because ammo is so scarce. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, at this stage, you need two hits to take out a hybrid or, you know, the mo- the most common enemies at this stage. Uh, and they really only need about a hit and a half to take out you. Mm. And so I I really think this whole sequence of what I played might be the tensest, most vulnerable and most scary game experience I think I've ever had. Like, I was more scared of this than I was of Silent Hill. Even even Silent Hill 2, uh, I th- which we talked about a little bit I, in our last episode. If I had continued being the one playing Silent Hill 2, then I'm not sure. But I found this scarier than the parts of Silent Hill 2 that I played before I figured out that I wasn't going to be able to finish that okay. game. Yeah, no, I, this is this is super unnerving. I didn't find it as scary as Silent Hill 2, but a few things. Um, one, kind of along the Silent Hill lines, the sound design of this game so is just good. bonkers. And so much of it is because you can never place the sound spatially. You'll just hear things. And so you'll hear an enemy that will sound very proximate to you, but could be on the other side of the spaceship for all you know. Yep. The monkey, there are these small monkeys, oh the monkey screeches. Yeah, you'll just hear things and have no clue where they're coming from, which in a lot of games would be a flaw. In this one, though, it just puts you on edge because you're kind of always, you know, spinning around trying to see where is that coming from? Yes. Because often it is coming from right next to you. Uh, We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so that. And then, yeah, just this era of graphics. Yes. This, these are the most horrifying creatures yes especially yeah these hybrids like the zombie type characters yep. are just so scary just because they, they're not rendered properly <laughs> like they can't it is be the exact level of detail mm-hmm. versus abstraction that leads to like grotesquery in a way that mm-hmm. i don't think contemporary games really sort of can do without 
being something like paratopic that sort of goes back to this in some mm-hmm. ways. And, and yeah, and like Ken Levine talked about this, how his initial idea was to humanize the monsters. He thought that would be scarier to make them kind of more tragic and more, you know, human-like. And so this has diminishing returns. So it works on the hybrids. Did you ever meet the cyborg midwives? No. Okay, these things are hideous and you learn about their backstories through the audio logs but basically so you know how there are those like um grub eggs yep um that have the annelids so the many do you want to explain what the many is yeah so the many are um a a biological sort of uh semi-parasitic species that evolved out of what Shodan started growing in the grove that she had in system shock one that the main character jettisoned to a planet um it continued to incubate there, and they, I guess very quickly, because it's only been like 30 years, um, evolved into these much more sophisticated, um, hostile, and sort of collective consciousness-having um, organisms, I guess. Yeah, and so the many is kind of what Shodan is fighting, and so they're your, they're your primary enemies, but they also, you learn, kind of take over the minds of the crew. And so one thing you learn through the audio logs is that the these kind of annelids are in these grub eggs and the many wants to preserve them. And so one thing that some people on board do once they're mentally taken over by the many is decide that, okay, we need something to nurse these eggs, but they give off toxins that are detrimental to human life. So they take all the nurses on board and fuse them with cyborgs. Oh, God. And these are like the cyborg midwives who exist to protect these eggs. So whenever you find a room with a lot of these eggs, they'll usually be one of these enemies around or a okay. few of them. And they're just hideous. They've got, they're like um, bodies, like their torsos and heads are like de-skinned humans. Oh, and then the legs are cyborgs. It's just hideous. And they make the, the grossest sounds and just so unsettling and so scary. Later on, though, you just get super annoying spiders. You get okay. just big aliens straight out of Half-Life. Oh, Okay. And it's like, oh, so you you had your idea for these tragic enemies for like two of them, and then you just completely gave yeah, them. No, we're done. And so by the end, when you just get these things that look straight out of Zen, it, it, yeah, there's such diminishing returns. And it's like, am I? You feel like you're kind of in a different game, right. and um, that's one of the reasons that towards the end, I just couldn't, I just didn't want to play anymore. It's like I don't, I just, I don't want to fight these. Yeah. There's this Generic class, alien yeah, called like thing. the Rumblers, and they're just yeah, big blobs of flesh, and they just look. I mean, you basically get to Zen at the end, but. <laughs> which also is i think i just have like some kind of uh you're like response. stop trying to make zen like, work yeah some bodily response i think that it reminds me of zen so it's like no we're not going to do it um okay but that but yeah atmosphere though in general i Through think really good and uh yeah really really scary game that sustains it mostly until the end close until to the it end. doesn't yeah. yeah okay so number four closely builds on that i loved the creeping, hiding, the wrenching. I loved how slow the pace of exploration and combat was um, in the part of this game that I played. This was, you know, we've we've talked before about um, games with horror elements being in some ways an inversion of the power fantasy elements of a lot of games. And I think that's really at play here. But my my sort of first playthrough ended when you get sort of the first big key card uh, and you open up doors to this um, axis that le- can lead you to the medical section. It can lead you to the crew quarters and it can lead you to to the elevators to other decks. And 
to get to the the medical area, which is the first place that you have to go, you have to just cross this little hallway with like two intersections and like one little room you can duck into and just two hybrids. This is not objectively a huge challenge. I swear to God, it probably took me 45 minutes to get across that because the sound design is so intense. It's hard in some cases to locate where they are. And one of the things that I had in my head going into this game was that this is one where you're not like seeking out conflict with enemies. Like if you have the option of just creeping by unnoticed or something, I know because of the resource scarcity that that's a good way to proceed. And I mean, the enemy respawn is nuts. So yeah. even, you know, taking out the enemies, shortly there'll be more in their place. It accomplishes very little <laughs> in the long term. So I was I was proceeding through this hallway, trying to get through unnoticed, very cognizant of, of where enemies were or being super stressed out when I lost track of where they were, but I could hear them. Um, and I just, I felt so hemmed in and it felt so intense and felt like I had to be so careful in almost a Dark Soulsy kind of way where even your encounters with sort of low level, like, you know how in Dark Souls, ultimately any, and any old mm-hmm. dumb enemy can mm-hmm. kill you if you're not being careful. This has that feel as well, where like you need to be very intentional and really thinking through your timing and where you're going and backing up. And can you catch this guy by surprise? When do you run? When do you stealth? And so it just had, it was so excruciatingly slow, but I actually mean that in a positive way. Like just crossing that one hallway mm-hmm. um, was a really memorable gameplay experience in terms of figuring out how I was going to engage with this game. Also, though, much like other games we've played, like a Gold Knight, for example, I think a game that would really benefit from you know the invention of a stealth system or a proper stealth <laughs> yeah. system, because it, it expects you to do stealth and act stealthily. But it's very hard to know where the sight lines are, and you know there you can do like a, a peek around the corner, but again, it's it's almost impossible to tell like where you are spatially. Um, yeah, yeah, like it hasn't. It, it's it can't do everything, right? It couldn't. It didn't have a a proper stealth system implemented, but could really benefit from one, and almost wants you to act as though there is one, which I did find frustrating from time to time. Yes, I would agree. Um, but yeah, the, I I totally agree with the pace, and I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever played a game where I was at this low level of health for the majority of the playthrough. Absolutely. I was within one, I was a one hit kill for, I'm going to say 90% of the time that I was in this game. Like where, because healing items are so rare mm-hmm. that I would just get stuck in a place where I had a quarter or a third mm-hmm. of my health, mm-hmm. which because of how low level I was, that was like one good hit from a hybrid and you're done. Um, So yeah, uh, that actually segues very well into the fifth time i love system shock 2 and that was as i learned about its utter and absolute lack of mercy for the (laughs) player so speaking about stealth and and unclear sight lines and stuff uh can we talk about the time that a security camera spotted me through the window from another room and went off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my, so and, it can see through it has sight lines clearly and, and security cameras are brutal oh my god so, okay so when you when you get caught by a security camera an alarm goes off through the whole thing every guy in the area is going to swarm you you better find somewhere to hole up and, oh, and it spawns out. more it just constantly oh, yeah. spawns enemies until either you shoot the camera turn off the system or the time runs out right um like note, note that one of the things dimitri did not just say will stop it is dying 
So in this particular <laughs> case, I holed up, killed about a dozen monkeys with my wrench, got taken out when I got swarmed by like three hybrids simultaneously. And then I respawned, regenerated into these like in-world um, cellular reconstruction unit things. Like in Bioshock. Like in Bioshock. Uh, the alarm was still going. Oh, yeah. If <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, no. Yeah. If, uh, as I learned, if an enemy chases you into your revival chamber, you just respawn with the enemy on top of you. Oh, my God. Just pounding you. So I got stuck in one once with one of these, those big brute type aliens <laughs> who just kind of takes up the whole space. Yeah. So you just respawn. You just clopper, you die. You just respawn, <laughs> cloppers, you die. He's farming you like in Super Metroid where yeah. those guys pop yes. out of the ground. He's doing that to you. Oh, if that was like he's in world so what much he's doing. EXP, he's getting stronger and stronger. He's just like, this is great. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's brutal. Uh absolutely absolutely merciless. Um the other big example that I want to talk about is how this game managed its inventory systems and menus. It is very Dark Souls. Uh, yes. In its implementation. In that it does not pause the game while you are looking at your inventory or your menus it's, for it, one example. Yeah, it's Dark Souls if you need to access your inventory maybe every Constantly. 10 to 15 seconds. Constantly. And also a whole series of things of how you interact with the world will auto pop up your menu, which is just a HUD. Like it doesn't take you to a separate screen where you can't see anything and you can't, you have to manually close it out before you can continue being a good fight boy in this mm -hmm. game. So a thing that would happen a lot is, you know, you would um, interact with something. Uh, pick up a code, pick up a new a, a key card or something, pick up whatever it is, you know, be looting a body and, and taking things off the body. And then your inventory screen just stays up. And when you have it up and you've forgotten to close out of it, it's really easy. Not I found it easy not to notice that you haven't closed it because mm -hmm. you can still see most of your screen. But you sort of move in this way that feels like partial paralysis, like you can kind of walk, but you can't shoot or do a bunch of interactive stuff, which means I kept getting into situations where um, I would get attacked and not realize that I still had my menu. It was just a whole thing. And yeah, I mean, it has. It just is not interested in doing anything to help you survive whatsoever. <laughs> like there's no yeah. merciless with the with the presence of healing items with the regeneration of enemies with the persistence of security systems um it just it feels like being in an inhospitable space which you are um and a lot of that i actually really loved yes and and yeah i think in general i really like the you know the inventory or the menus that don't pause in games like this or something like dark souls but where it doesn't work is when you have to do like a, a weird like ballet with them. So you didn't get to this part, but later you have to, you get this, there's this level where you have to gather a bunch of key cards and then put them in their respective um, SIM units, like these big computers. Okay. And in one, in doing so, the second you put it in, it just spawns all of these spiders, which are by far my least favorite enemy in the game. There's okay. these big spiders. They are super fast. They're low to the ground like the monkeys. So you, uh -oh. you have to like bend down if you want to wrench them. They take a lot of hits, especially with the wrench. They give you toxic, uh -oh. which um, anti-toxic um, hypos are pretty rare um, relative to how easily you can get toxic. So I just hate these things. So I had to, it took me a lot of tries, work out a thing where, you know, I could open open the inventory sneak up to the thing put the th you know put the sim card in the sim unit 
close the inventory fast enough, then spin around and dash out. And oh, just like God. the dexterity that took, I don't think I can do it anymore. Maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> but it took me so many times to actually get that right and a lot of saves coming. And it was just that became more annoying than anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just about managing the that menu system where I really wish you could just like if you have a key card, you can just like yep. press a button and it uses the key card. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was one time when it for me, it really backfired. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree that I I didn't I didn't love having to constantly be closing out of the of the inventory to to be going back to work but um in general I think this approach to mm-hmm. how the game engages with the player really fits this game tonally it add, does add something to the gameplay you know 99% of the time and overall I think it's a good design element of this game. Yeah, it's much more survival horror than many games that explicitly yes. call themselves survival horror. I agree. I absolutely agree. So those are your five things. Those are my five times that I love System Shock 2. And I have to tell you now about one time that I didn't. Okay. I imagine this is the last time. <laughs> well, it was the beginning of the end. Let's say that. So I talked about how um, I spent so much of this game in this state where I had maybe like a quarter to a third of my health left and I was stuck being a one hit kill. I was low hanging fruit for any of these baddies. So... I had I had done this whole long, slow, painful, long traversal across um, the medical section, and uh, I had gotten taken out a bunch of times, being on low health. And I finally struggled through, and I was getting sort of late in that section, and I found a crate that I opened, and um, it had a bunch of stuff in it, not a healing pack, mind you, but it had a bunch of stuff, and I realized that. Like, it's not always the easiest to see what objects are interactable in this world. Mm -hmm. I think it took. And so I realized, oh, I think I have been missing crates this whole time. There might be so much stuff behind Mm -hmm. me that I should double back and go find. Maybe it doesn't need to be this hard. And as I am having this slight wave of relief. Oh, can we also talk since you're mentioning crates? um, You have to hack into a lot of crates. Yes. You chose to be a hacker. Yeah. How did you find this uh, hacking system? Oh my God. This is the goofiest hacking system in any existing it's game that I've ever played. Pure chance. It's purely you click a bunch of, I don't even know how to explain this. You just click a bunch of boxes and wait until you get three white ones in a row. And it, yeah, it's just completely random. It's just, I think it's chance. I've looked around, like, is there a strategy? Is this like a minesweeper? Is there, yeah. no, like, no, it's it's just pure chance. The, yeah, this it's is ludicrous. It's it's truly wild and very bad. It, this was not on my list of things that I love. But hang on. Okay, so picture me being so tense, right? And and just this starting to feel this little crack of light um, opening where I'm like, oh, maybe I can backtrack and get health. In that instant, I instinctively turn around because you have to keep checking around you. Mm-hmm. I look to the side. There is a hybrid on top of me and <laughs> kills me in that moment surprises me so much that i scream in real life so much like when pyramid head showed up that my dog wakes up from another room and comes to make sure i'm okay and it is almost 1 a.m on a saturday and (laughs) i feel the need to apologize to my neighbors afterwards and my body is in so much shock that i am literally trembling and i close the game And I said, thank you very much. I will try this again tomorrow. So this is the beginning of a pattern for me that would spell the end of my engagement with this game. Oh, no. 
here's what I think happened. A, I'll be honest, it's been a challenging fall for a bunch of personal reasons. I'm a relatively tightly wound person at the best of times, you know, a little bit of an anxiety situation. Um, I have been extra tightly wound the last couple months. Um, For a very tightly wound person, it is not fun to walk around in a procedural jump scare generator, <laughs> which is like the the level of tension, the level of like this game at moments when I would get surprised by an enemy or something like that generated genuine panic in me. And I mean like embodied panic. Uh, I mean a fight or flight feeling. And I just like it, it was something different than feeling... Uh, scared in the way that um, Silent Hill 1 walking through the the foggy streets was scary. It was even a, a different kind of scary than, um, you know, the little bits of Resident Evil that I've played. Um, partially, I think, because a lot of the enemies are a lot more mobile in this. Like, my experience overwhelmingly in Silent Hill and the bits of Resident Evil that I've played around with is that generally I know where guys are. Um for the most part. I mean, well, in this one, like I said, the respawn is ridiculous and inconsistent, which makes it terrifying because you never know when things are going to respawn. Yeah. And you even have, you haven't even met the worst of the enemies. You haven't met these stupid cyborg ninjas oh. that are like the assassins in Half-Life in terms oh. of how fast they are. Okay. And it's just because, you know, it's, I think it's a symptom of the time. It's just like their AI is coded in such a way where you cannot predict how they're going to move which makes it terrifying and they're, they're very difficult to hit and they sh- they throw these shooting stars at you. Oh. And they just they don't suit the game. Right. Right. It's even more so than like these half-life type monsters. They're just like from a different game. Yeah, this one of my questions about this is like I don't know how I would have felt about this game if I had proceeded to a point where uh, combat is more combaty and less about. Oh, we're getting there. Don't worry. Yeah, like I don't know. So a, I don't know if that would take it. I've taken the tension down because I, like, this is how it ends. I simply like, it was stressing me out and winding me up so much to play this game that I would like play it for ninety minutes, have two or three hours before bedtime, and still have trouble calming my body down enough to be able to go to sleep at the end. Like I simply. I feel like I do not have compatible physiology <laughs> with this game. Um, and so despite all the things that I really liked about it, like it was genuinely harming me <laughs> to force myself to play it. And so I had to throw in the towel because it just like this is not this is not the right match of game and person at this time. And that it just be like that sometimes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I, and I don't know how that like would it you know, would face it and having it be more combat-y, would that ratchet down the tension? But like, I don't know that I find the combat, especially the combat is not necessarily the part of this game that I think is most fun or most interesting or most good, although maybe that changes. Like, no. Okay. <laughs> so it definitely does ratchet down the tension. Yeah. And so this is this is my experience. This is kind of why I bounced. And so, I th- yeah, I think the reasons that you left make complete sense and are very fair. And I think Based on, you know, your five reasons for why you really like this game, you might have got another, you know, deck and a half Uh out of it that you would have really enjoyed. But I think 
basically after the Shodan twist, after you find Polito, I think your enjoyment would have plummeted pretty quickly. Interesting. Um, at least that's my experience because I completely agree with what you liked about this game is what I liked about this right. game. And I liked it a lot. Yeah. I hope that came through. And yeah, and I like this is a game that I would think about. Mm-hmm. I would think about how I'd approach different situations. I think about, you know, the the rest of the ship to explore. Like I was kind of obsessed with this game for a few days when I was in these opening segments. For me, the first few decks are the strongest ones. I actually think Medbay might be my favorite deck, which is too bad since the first one. But just in terms of how it sets up the tension and just its its layout, I I really liked a lot. There's a deck you get to later, which is the recreation deck, which is kind of cool because there's like a movie theater there and a basketball Mm. court. So just in terms of like the the different kinds of stuff you run into. But I didn't. I never liked any of them as much as I liked the first deck. And I don't know if that's just because it was my introduction to the game and I was, you know, discovering things. I mean, because like I said before, I think the game plays its hand fully almost immediately. Okay. And even, you know, by the time you're on deck three, I think you've seen 90% of the enemy types you're going to see. uh, And they get less and less interesting, at least for me, as it goes on. More blob monsters later on. Once the assassins, the blob monsters and the the spiders, I just, I just hated them all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, the game does get much more combat focused as as you progress with an increase in the amount of enemies you're facing and that yeah for me that's the part i like the least about the game mm-hmm. it got to the point where near the end i had to i was in this one room and i counted two big rumblers so those big guys yeah those big brutes two of them one midwife one spider and one assassin in the same room this is not that kind of game. No, and so and so at that point it's like okay, I'm 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 short on ammo. I can bolt across, but it's just it felt like it wanted to be, you know, Half-Life it wanted to be a shooter at that point and it's not the kind of game it is. Right. And so that kind of was breaking with me. Um the other thing that really hurt is that I just got so tired of this the gamey structure what you call the Resident Evil the movie structure. <laughs> um where you know, if you're, I get why you have to do this as a game, but you also have to like give something to the player at some points. You have to give back. And and just like this convoluted, okay, I know what my goal is, but to get there, there are three obstacles in my path. And then to get to each of those three obstacles, there are three more obstacles. And uh, you know, at a certain point, you actually lose track of what your your major goal is. I get why they did that. And, you know, again, you yeah. know, 1999. It's something we can overlook in a lot of games. But just as a design philosophy, yeah. I, I just really grates on me. And so it was grating on me. I was really getting sick of all the combat. I was, you know, dying a lot, getting through, dying a lot. Like it, it is challenging. You know, my resources are kind of are kind of spent. But finally, you know, I'm getting to the end, and I get off of the von Braun, and then you go to the Rickenbacker, the you know the military ship. Mm-hmm. And then when I get there, Shodan tells me that you know, okay, we're getting towards the end, uh, but in order to progress. I have to find and destroy 16 <laughs> eggs. 16. I just I was like, excuse me? <laughs> There's something about the number 16. It's, it's just exactly the wrong number. I don't even know why. I think if you asked me for 15, I might have given it a go. Right. But there was something about that extra one, the 16. I just felt like my time was so disrespected. <laughs> That this already, I feel like the game should have ended two hours pr- prior. Right. It's like, it just felt like so much padding. It's like, you're going to make me hunt down 60. 16- I think <laughs> even if it was 20 eggs, I would have felt better. I know. I don't know why 16 is exactly the wrong number, but it is. And like I've, 12, maybe. Sure. Like, 
It's ne- so weird. This, and like, I've never really had this experience before. The second I heard the number 16, I just shut it down and deleted it. I never, <laughs> never turned back, never felt bad about it. I was like, I got what I needed from that game. Even if it, if it was something like, there are 30 eggs and we need you to, to get 16. We need you to take out more than half of them. Go get sure. 16 out of 30. There's so many different ways this could have been fine, but I kind of get what you're saying. Like, after all that, it's just like, oh, here's just some more. Here's just some shit to do. Some more bing bongs for you to. And 16 yeah. of them. <laughs> 16. I'm, you must have play tested this with one person who said, maybe not 16. We do things in threes here. We do them in threes. So yeah, I just I just shut it off and and never and never looked back. But it was very much like that structure was just getting to me. Like, okay, find three key cards, but before you can do that, you have to do three other things. And yeah. Before you do each of those, it, just like that branching. Yeah. It just yeah, like I just can't take that structure anymore. <laughs> I, I've just learned. Um, but I mean, and so I, I but I really enjoyed this game from the beginning. And again, you know, you can see how much it is influenced in yeah. terms of you know the way it tells its narrative. Um, whether for better or worse, I, it's not the first. I mean, the original System Shock used audio logs, but you no, know, the use of audio logs, which is quite, you know, which is quite good. It's it's a it's a serviceable way to tell a story. Yeah. I think we, it might have lingered a little too long in history, but for 1999, quite good. But you know, I was thinking it's because like I love Deus Ex, the original Deus Ex, mm-hmm. love it, and uh, we should probably play that because it will scratch some of this itch. But I was thinking, okay, why do I love that? But I, I love this for a bit and then completely really fell out of love with it where to the point where like it wasn't surprising me anymore i felt like i knew all of its secrets mm-hmm. like it played its hand too early i was starting to resent it like really falling out of love with this stupid game and then it's like what what is it about deus ex that is different and i think that one thing is that okay i think what one thing i learned about myself so this is a it's not the game it's me sure thing but I think I realized a few things about myself and especially with immersive sims and like RPGs in general, especially like Western RPGs. I think, you know, I don't want my games that are build based more than skill based. So like RPGs, you know, based on your build, I don't want them to be hard. Ah, hmm. um, for a few reasons. Um, and I also don't really want my, I don't want combat centric RPGs. I think, so yeah, I think like the combat system in RPGs and this even goes to, you know, when I play tabletop RPGs. It's I t- tolerate the combat because the genre gives me all these other things that I really like, such as exploration, decision making, world right, building. Right. Um, but a lot of that is really thin in this game in System Shock. I actually don't get the sense that I could solve a lot of problems in many different ways in this game. Mm-hmm, right. And, you know, a lot of it does have to be done through combat in some ways. The hallways are very narrow. You're going to encounter some guys like some enemies. Yep. You're going to have to use your combat. And. Yeah, and I mean, along those same lines is that even in the manual, it tells you that, you know, being a jack of all trades in this game won't work. You should pick a build and kind of stick with it. And, you know, I think in theory, I like that idea, but ultimately it means that you commit early and then the RPG elements end up closing down possibilities instead of opening up possibilities. Right. And, you know, I just felt kind of frustration with my build. I didn't even want to experiment with Psy powers because... For me, like at a certain point, she's like, oh, that would just clog my inventory. I just got to focus on on what I've chosen. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many systems that I didn't even want to engage with. Um, Which especially for a first playthrough, I think that's problematic. That Like that's discouraging you from exploring or like mm-hmm. punishing you for not guessing correctly out the gate what is going to be most fun for you to engage with. Yeah. And I think I picked a build that is actually pretty effective for the kind of game it is, but is also a pretty... Um, 
run-of-the-mill kind of straightforward build. Right. Hacking, for example, you know, I I, I want I put a lot of points into hacking because usually I love that stuff. In Deus Ex, I love all that stuff. And, and here, like, hacking doesn't really get you much. It maybe it shuts off cameras for, like, a minute, maybe. Like, you can't even do... It doesn't even give you, you know what Bioshock gives you where... I guess you can get the turrets... Um, to work, you know, to kind of work with you and shoot enemies for you. You can yeah. do a little bit of that, but that's kind of it. Like there's not, there's not a lot there. I also, again, thinking about Deus Ex, I need in my RPGs, I need downtime. I need pure exploration yeah. sections. Yeah. I need to venture into a city as in Deus Ex and like encounter NPCs. Like that's the stuff I actually value. Breaking into into people's apartment buildings. It's so satisfying. You know what? That would have helped my experience too, I think. Whereas in this, it is very much, it is a survival horror game that just doesn't have it's a survival horror game without mechanics that feel good in yeah. terms of like the run and gun yeah i i hate the dice roll approach to shooting mm-hmm. where especially when you have a reticle you feel like you know that it should be like a first person shooter shooting and so when things just miss because it's like a dice roll miss it feels bad but, but yeah i think it's just you know this is not what i want from my rpgs i don't want difficult rpgs i don't want um rpgs that are combat centric because that's the stuff I like the least of right. from that genre. I want to be able to kind of explore in the world. I want to kind of do that improvisation. I want to like yes and me, which combat is very rarely a yes and experience. Right, right. Um, and really, you know, the combat just makes me want to stop playing a role and start min maxing because yes, I just yes, I just hate doing it so much. And so my mind is like, okay, I, I stop caring about you know inhabiting and immersing myself in this world and thinking about okay, how, how can I maximize my skills so I can get through these combat sections the most efficiently and quickly? Right, right. Um, yeah, I've actually just started playing, or I, I guess I just finished playing. But along uh, alongside with this game, I started playing Disco Elysium, which is a an RPG, very build based, no combat encounters. Beautiful. It's perfect. That yeah. like that is a game for <laughs> me. Right. And it it just really put it, this game into into stark contrast of like why this game is just not a game for me. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't think the number sixteen showed up once in Disco Elysium, <laughs> which is to its benefit. So yeah, I think that's that's my experience with with System Shock and, and why I bounced. And once I knew that you kind of bounced off of it, I just felt no compulsion to, to, yeah. <laughs> to go further. Um, yeah, and you know, once I I watched the the last bit, I watched the Rickenbacker sequence on YouTube, and it is literally and figuratively like the Zen of this game. Mm-hmm. You actually go into a, a place that looks very much like Zen. I don't know if you got here, but there's actually a moment in the game, this cut where it's like one of the few cutscenes where it takes you out of it and it like transports you to this Zen-like world, which you learn later is the Rickenbacker or is okay. on the Rickenbacker. No good. And then you have to fight. You have this weird fight with Shodan where Shodan like gets a body, just ruins Why? the whole, like ruins the tension around Shodan. She no longer becomes scary. The section she has this stupid little body. Also, why would she want a human-looking body? She her whole thing is that she looks down on humans then, for the whole time. And then the ending itself is just pure comedy. Yeah, we want you showed me this on YouTube, and I watched it, and then you said this is real, and I was like, what? <laughs> like I thought it was like a jokey fan edited thing with with like weird voiceover your the main character has one voiced line in this entire so, game so yeah so shodan is like she knows you're about to destroy her and she's like she's pitching she's like you know we can work together yeah. why don't we become why I don't can we make the you world a gun yeah and it does that and with this ominous music and then the music just shuts off the camera does like a quick tracking like quick tracking shot really close to the character and like your character just goes nah and then shoots her yeah like, like and she comedic gets like moment. googly eyes like yeah. whoa and it's just 
Ken Levine, you just spit on me. That is at an that insane point. way to end this game tonally. It's worse than the gold man. Yes. In Bioshock. Yes, I agree. So I think I I think yeah, I think I got what I needed out of this yeah. game. Yeah. And I appreciate a lot of what it does, but I don't need to play any more of it. Yeah, we're good. And I'm you know, and a lot of people describe Bioshock, a lot of System Shock 2 fans would like to talk about how Bioshock was just like dumbed down System Shock. Give me the dumbed down System Shock, baby. <laughs> you mean the playable version. <laughs> any day of the week I would take because if it's going to be kind of combat centric mm-hmm. I want the mm-hmm. dumbed down version I want the version that actually plays more like a twitch shooter right if that's going to be the basis of your game I can deal with the bad combat if there is the exploration that is more integrated and other ways to accomplish things that don't involve combat but in this one it was it just felt like the combat was so central to the experience and you know that's the thing you're going to have to contend with no matter what your build is yeah and uh didn't love it yeah 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 fair enough um so with that let's take a quick break and when we come back think about this experience of bouncing off other games uh just really briefly maybe you know contend with this idea that you know a, a lot of times we encounter games that we really like and we drop them for for certain reasons no fault of the games often says more about us so we'll be back to reflect on that in a bit back to talk a bit more about our general experience with bouncing off games that we otherwise really enjoy. So in preparation for this, I did the very uh, shame evoking exercise of thinking of some of the games that um, I think about most often that I also bounced off of. Um, Because I think it's not you know, just deciding you don't really like a game enough to continue is not bouncing off of it. Right. Like bouncing off to me is like when you kind of have full intentions of proceeding, but you but then you don't. Mm -hmm. Right. And often, you know, I wouldn't really be able to tell you why, but we're going to talk through a couple of these examples and try to, you know, think about why this happens. So I have a short list of of prominent games that I would say I bounced off of. I'm going to share them so that we can discuss them in the open. Nobody judge me for this. Life is complicated. Uh, Dishonored 2. Wolfenstein, The New Order, um, The Witness, V6 Times, Control, Oxenfree, Gorogoa, and Untitled Goose Game. Some of those are like an hour and a half. I know. And yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when I look at these, I think that there's, there's a small number of them that I think I can kind of like scope off and I'm going to put Untitled Goose Game in this category where I was having a good time, but I also got enough of a taste of what I wanted that I sort of, it would have been nice to continue, but also I wasn't compelled enough to sit back down with it over other things that were going mm-hmm. on at the time. So, you know, Untitled Goose Game is like, it, I I really like that, the concept. It, I had a lot of fun with the time that I had, but also by that point I had, heard a lot of people talk about it. I had seen some people streaming parts of it. Um, I just, I didn't have 
curiosity left about what was in there. And so I think I ended up just drifting towards other stuff I was playing. There's there's some also that I think are just um, the sort of like with, with System Shock 2, just the wrong combination of game with like what I had available to give to it in that mm-hmm. moment. One of the ones that I feel worst about and is highest on my list of games in this category to go back to, it pains me to even say this, is Outer Wilds, which I loved what I played of Outer Wilds. I felt like I was at the start of something so special that I would love so much. But also, so much of that game depends on the player being really focused, really immersed in it, paying a lot of attention, really learning the space, remembering how how things fit together. Um, and I think it happened at a time where things were busy in my life and I didn't tend to have like whole evenings where I could sit down, um, you know, with the computer mm-hmm. and do like long stretches where you achieve a bunch of stuff. And so I think that fell away in favor of games at that time that were a little bit easier to pick up maybe on Switch, maybe play for 40 minutes while something is on the TV and then and then move on. Yeah, like So that's a, that's a really interesting game. And there are games like that that I think take a little time. You have to give enough time for it to get your, its hooks in you. And so for Outer Wilds especially, because it's it's such about the unraveling of the mystery, you do really need to give it a lot of time up front. But then kind of once st- stuff starts coming together, it has like a, actually has a really good um, like map system, a really good um, like journal system that keeps connections for you. Okay. So that it's so much easier after you hit a certain point to leave and then come back and remember where you were. You just mm-hmm. have to like get beyond a point where things start to come together. And I, th- I think that a lot of games kind of have that, have that challenge. It's like you have to play it enough for you to kind of understand what's going on. I mean, a Dark Souls is a perfect example of this as well. True. Right. That you really have to give it enough time. And then kind of once it clicks with you, then you can come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you stop playing before it clicks, I think you know it's harder and harder to come back to the point where you might just actually bounce off of it because you didn't give it enough time for it to to do that. That makes sense. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I just felt like that was asking a level of attention and care from me mm-hmm. at that point that I just didn't ha- like. I I kept wanting to save it for a moment when I would know that I could sit down and play it for three hours, and then I kept just not finding a time when I had like a huge three hour gap that mm-hmm. I was like, great, mm-hmm. let's commit to Outer Wilds. So it's funny yeah, because you mentioned Dishonored 2. And like I think the first Dishonored, I think I've tried to play it three times. <laughs> and I get past the first, like the kind of pretty much the tutorial. Yeah. Always with the intention of going back and actually playing the game. Yeah. It opens up and never going back. And it's like, maybe I just don't like this type of immersive sim, like a combat centric immersive sim. But uh, OK, I have a question because I actually don't know. After the first level, does it like does a city open up that you can explore? Or is it all kind of missions? Um, somewhere in between. It's not as, I mean, it is still an, immer- we, you know, with immersive sims, we've talked about how they're not open world. Like you have to have a container that mm-hmm. is each space. Um, so you have missions, um, but they are more letting you loose in a space. Like a couple of the main missions where there's also little side things happen in basically what's probably like eight square blocks of the the main city and so okay but even this sounds to me more appealing than what i played mm-hmm. though i think you know if i just played literally half an hour more right. i might have been hooked right um so maybe i'll try again but it's just i keep getting through the first tutorial that is pretty much a very linear tutorial and one that feels 
I always feel guilty when I don't perfectly stealth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's very clearly, the tutorial is very clearly set up. You for, can do that. Yeah, yeah, that you can do it perfectly. And I just get mad at myself that I can't. <laughs> Which is the case for a lot of stealth games. Listen, if you like self-pacing and breaking into apartments and rummaging through them and coming up with clever ways to get around security Mm -hmm. um, patrols and having really fun applications of like hacking and light magical abilities, um, that that game's pretty fun. And it's like, you know, there's like a um, sort of semi steampunky fantasy like i mean yeah surreal thing it's more like mechanically something has to happen that that yeah that gets me on board and gets me to stick and i think that would be i think that would be it so maybe i'll give it a fourth go (laughs) we'll see you could also probably go straight to dishonored too i think like overwhelmingly i mean it's probably gonna be the same thing i still need i need to play it still long enough to be able to, to get caught into it yeah um I mean, the really embarrassing thing with me and Dishonored 2 is that I bounced off when I was in what is infamously everybody's favorite space, which is the Clockwork Mansion. (laughs) Um, But yeah, with that one, I think it just like, I think there's a point in some of these games where, um, again, I kind of run out of curiosity or I feel like... um, I've I've figured out the like logic of the game enough that there's not a lot still driving me forward. And maybe sometimes I'll be really in the mood for the kind of game experience that something like Dishonored is. But when I stop being in the mood for it, I'm like done being in the mood for it. And this particular mix of stealth and exploration of combat, I think, is one of these things where it's like every once in a while I'll get a craving for a game like that. And that's how I ended up playing the first one. And this one, I think I I was trying to play it in a moment when that wasn't exactly the thing that I was craving. And so at that point, you know, I just at some point put down the controller for the last time and didn't pick it back up. I think that's similar with me and Soma, which I played a little bit of. Mm. And the first like two hours of that game, I loved I, I like the first two hours of the game were some of the most tense, scary gaming I have ever done. Like, including Speaking of space, Silent sci-fi, survival, yeah. horror. yeah. And like I was, I was absolutely loving it for the first two hours, and was incredibly tense the whole time. And then I can't remember exactly what happened, but something happened where I could just start seeing the seams and realize that um, the threats were all just kind of imaginary. Like there was no actual threat in the game, and the and you can start seeing seeing the seams of, you know, just understanding like how the game works. And okay, there are some like sequences where you have to like escape some kind of enemy, but there aren't really any repercussions, and it's very kind of easy to do and so like once you kind of see that the tension just plummeted right um and then i just stopped playing it because as much you know i don't love feeling like my heart's gonna burst out of my chest <laughs> but that's kind of what you go to those games yeah, for. yeah yeah and then once that stopped and it just you could kind of see like the game there mm-hmm. that's when that's when i stopped that's, that's when i stopped playing that yeah and which is different because you know with other games it's the it's the point of getting to the place where you actually start seeing the game there that actually is that brings you in. I think Dark Souls is one of them. I was going to say, yeah, right. It's 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 like figuring out what those systems are and trying to see them more transparent than the game wants you. That's like the pleasure of that game. Um, whereas for some other games, it's it's completely the opposite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that sort of also makes me think of um, I think the model of like V six times. Mm. So this is also a game where I really I love the aesthetic. The sound, the soundtrack is so great. I was having such a good time bouncing around exploring this. Um, But I think I got to a point where 
I had sort of explored a lot non-systemically, just sort of wandering around a lot of the areas that I could sort of get to with my skill level at the game where it was. And I think I started to perceive that if I wanted to continue on in the game, I was either going to have to start being more methodical about mapping, like, okay, where have I been and where haven't I been? And also, I was going to have to figure out how to get a lot better at the game in terms of like, there's some very precise platforming and controls. And like some parts of that game are are like very challenging. And I think at that point, I I sort of was like, yeah, I'm still having a good time. I'll do that. But then again, just didn't come back. And I think like, I, I didn't consciously have this thought, but I think the deep down answer there is sort of like you with System Shock 2. I got what I was looking for out of this. I had a really good time. I bounced around and checked stuff out. This is the story of me and Fez also. Hmm. I, I had a, I've had a, had a couple of really fun play sessions where I sort of like drifted through and checked it out and explored how things work a little bit. And by the time it got to the deep puzzle solving part where like I was thinking about having to get out a pen and paper to like mm-hmm. figure out symbols, it was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, there's always, yeah, sometimes some games just ask a little more than you're willing to give them. And it's not necessarily the game's fault. It's just you realize that your own thresholds and like, yeah, like I've always said, my threshold is often bring out a paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, it depends on the game. Uh, if it's, I, I remember we had a pad and paper when we were playing um, Her Story. Yeah. And also, oh, I the one I was going to bring up was um, Return of the Oberdin. Oh, yeah, of course. A deeply yeah. pad and paper game. You know, I think it's, it's something like the Oberdin is because you kind of want to see that mystery resolve itself, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's hard to, I think if you get into, if you get into Oberdin, it's hard to say that you've seen what the game has to offer until you actually get to the end. Yeah. Because to see what the game has to offer forces you to take in the whole. Um, I'm sure some people would argue that about Fez as well especially people who got really into it and the people who are on message boards trying to, you know, analyze the coded alphabet. Yep. But for you, if if you're there for kind of the individual puzzles, then, you know, after doing a dozen of those, then you've seen what is there for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I imagine if I continued on with The Witness, it would probably be similar where I can't see myself having the diligence to go through and work through every single puzzle in that game. Um, but I absolutely enjoyed playing around with a bunch of it and getting a feel for like, oh, cool, look at how this all... Look at what this game is doing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, th- I think there's a threshold of like my curiosity about what this game is doing, I feel has been satisfied to an extent that I'm comfortable with. And maybe sometimes that's naive. Sometimes there's like really good end game stuff that would change everything, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I really do think that is, you know, deep down, not consciously, but I think that is a a really determinative thing for me is mm-hmm. like once I feel like I've if I once I feel like I've understood what this game is doing and how it set things up, I think I'm only going to continue and finish if a I'm having such a good time, I'm enjoying so much mm-hmm. moment to moment, and it's the right thing that I'm feeling like in the moment, or there's something so compelling about story or about who I'm with or about like whatever else the space um, that is going to be enough to carry me through mm-hmm. and make me come back and and want to spend more time in that in that world. Um, so, you know, some of these are very like, I feel awful about Outer Wilds. I still think about that game all the time. I still think about restarting that game all the time. Um, and that's very different from something like uh, V6 Times, where mm-hmm. I feel comfortable saying I like that game. And also I didn't finish it. I guess before we finish, do you ever have the opposite response, a game that you get to the end of and you wish you bounced earlier? Because I just did when I played through Alan Wake. (laughs) Go on. So that was a game I went to play around Halloween. And 
It's a game I was hoping would have some more surprises for me. It's a game that very much shows its hand within the first two hours. Okay. The story is interesting enough, and I think that's where I, I kept wanting to go. I was compelled to get to the end of the actual narrative. So again, that's a thing that can hook you. And at least for me, if I, if the narrative is strong enough or interesting enough, it can make me deal with systems I and gameplay I might otherwise not want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out I was kind of also wrong about that, where the story just got worse as it went on and the payoff wasn't wasn't quite what I was hoping for. Um but yeah, in terms of that game, so much of it, it, it like has one good idea. Basically, the combat loop is you running between light sources. Let's say that, which in the abstract, I think is like a really interesting approach to combat. Yeah. When you're doing it for hours and hours and hours and hours with very little variation, it just becomes the worst, <laughs> the absolute worst. Um, it just becomes so tedious, so boring. And, you know, I do it just to kind of get the narrative sections or to get to like the brief moments of exploration where I can actually look around the town, which right. is which I also really enjoyed doing. Um, but yeah, at the end, I realized after chapter two, had I, had I left it, I would have gotten what I what I would have out of that game and not felt any differently. Yeah, um, I the the big ones that are coming to mind. I think I often feel some version of this when I finish JRPGs. I think almost all JRPGs are too oh, long. Speaking of, and also often have endings that are not as enjoyable as ninety percent of the path to get to the ending. Speaking of a bounce, you bounced off Xenoblade Chronicles. Sure did. You are so close Within to the ending. Within twenty minutes of the, of the end, and that ending is bonkers. That ending is I not know. is the opposite of what you're saying. I it is, know. I mean. You, you'll probably be you'll probably see that ending and just be like what did i just see but it is it is worth seeing that ending it is ridiculous in all the for me all the best ways yeah no i know that and you encouraged me so much like you have told me this before like it this is not that thing where that game is long <laughs> like i was really enjoying that game but also i just ran out of steam on it but uh, another one that is like i don't know if this was worthwhile um fire emblem games have a genuinely addictive quality for me and i don't mean that in the like oh my god they're so fun and so stimulating i mean there's like a thing that i about them that like hooks my brain in a way that sometimes is like unpleasant and uncomfortable i played all three houses of fire emblem three houses i didn't need to do that (laughs) you know it would have been it would have been fine um i definitely didn't need to do them all basically in a row um, so yeah, there's, there's times when I just feel like the like dopamine loop of mm-hmm. a game is so strong that it keeps me in it for longer than I really should have. Uh, and I wish sometimes I was a little better at recognizing earlier when I actually have my in- actual enjoyment of this has eased off a little bit. Um, I'm getting better at that as I, as I go and get more self-aware, but yeah, definitely. I remember finishing that, like the third run and being like, Jesus Christ, I feel like <laughs> what's god damn like i have to i have to stop i have to stop this it and yeah and i know the guilt too when you're on you know when you're on your third playthrough of fire emblem and you know that outer wilds is sitting there and that you probably yes. love it and you're like why can't i just play that and it's it's such a ridiculous thing it's like why can't i just play that game like, yes. like why can't i engage in this other leisure thing instead of this leisure activity but i get the guilt right that and you know that you'll like that game and yeah. you just need to commit and sit down with it for a certain amount of time, but instead you're playing, 
your 300th hour of yes. Fire Emblem. Yes. Yes. Um, and partially, I think it's because I can do that Fire Emblem with 60% of my attention span <laughs> instead of 100%. So yeah, it's games are weird, man. What a weird hobby. <laughs> so do you have any final thoughts on System Shock 2? I do, actually. I have one final thought. Von Braun, interesting name for the ship. Seems pretty cursed. Uh, Von Braun, was he not a famous former Nazi brought to the U.S. for Operation Paperclip aerospace engineer? That's like a, that seems like a cursed thing to call your ship. Go talk to Ken Levine. He calls his things a lot of cursed things. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really it. I just from the moment from the moment I heard the name, I was like. Where have I heard that before and Googled and was like, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Who would have thought that something would go wrong aboard the Von Braun? Foreshadowing. <sighs> All right. I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, even though it was all about our personal failure and <laughs> Ken Levine's personal failure, um, please <laughs> like it. like and subscribe. Uh, you can rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you're listening on. Um, you can find more information about the show at neverwasagamer.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. And I hope we didn't come across as too negative because, again, we actually really like this game. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange. I'm sure you've all had a similar experience with something like this. So hopefully you could at least <laughs> relate. Um, and so next time, we're going to try again. We're going to try again in this, uh, you know, Michelle playing in Michelle's wheelhouse arc to actually play a game that meets the goals of this arc. <laughs> <laughs> and so we all know that you love JRPGs. And so hopefully this isn't, you know, it, this doesn't fall along the lines of ones that you feel like you should bounce off of. I mean, this isn't even a JRPG. This is a game heavily inspired by JRPGs, heavily inspired by a lot of games that that you really like. A game that I know you've been thinking about wanting to play for a long time. A game that I bounced off of once before, speaking right. of segues. Very, very, very early. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into why why that happened. We're going to finally play Undertale, which will hopefully go well. <laughs> at, if not, well, at least have something to talk about. <laughs> Don't want to make any promises at this point. Um, so yeah, thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time when Michelle and I will hopefully play Undertale. Uh, you know, because waiting six years to play a game you might really enjoy just because you resent the fandom is an essential part of being a gamer. <laughs>